Hey, everybody. Mark here. Thanks so much for joining us on this not-miss episode of the Menlo Moments podcast. And to be honest, I don't know how to start this episode. It is quite a heavy episode, and I just want to throw that out right in the beginning. And we get the privilege of getting to hear Jenny Gerlach's story. She is a member at the Saratoga campus and had attended San Jose previously. And the first part of the conversation, we get to hear about her, where she grew up, where she went off to college, and she met her husband. They moved back to the Bay and had three kids. Uh, and then it takes, uh, it pivots after that. We talk about how one of her children is diagnosed with a terminal illness. And then Jenny so bravely and willingly uh, invites us into recollecting the night where she tragically lost her husband. And so as you can imagine, this episode is heavy. It's full of loss and grief. Uh, and then we, we talk about how God is still God through it all. And so Jenny is inspiring. Um, she's brave. And to be honest, this was one of the most intense and yet amazing conversations I've had with someone on a podcast or not. And so I'm very grateful for her. And she's just such a blessing to our community with her willingness to share this story. And this would be a great episode to share with those that may be struggling with some of the themes that we'll talk about later in the episode. So if you need anything at all, if you're struggling with something similar, or if you just want someone to sit with you in your grief, uh, you can text our team at 650-600-0402. That number comes to me and our prayer team here. And we want to enter into that space with you if you would like us to. So enjoy this conversation. And now let's go ahead and hop into this Menlo moment with Jenny. Hello, my name is Jenny, and this is my Menlo moment. I attend the Saratoga campus. I've been attending, well, since we became Saratoga. Yeah. But I started at the San Jose campus. Okay. Um, and I don't really know how long ago that was, but it was when we were at Branham, and then we went to San, San Jose. Okay. And then I came to Saratoga. Jenny, I'm so excited for this. Thanks. I'm so glad to be here. Yeah. This is a fun experience. It should be really In fun. In the mysterious land of Central. It's so good. I know, right? The weird basement studio that... It's kind of a studio. Yeah. It's on its way. It's where the magic happens. Yeah. It's going to be good. <laughs> so were you born and raised in the Bay Area? Yeah. So I grew up in the mighty land of Livermore, which if okay. you're not familiar, is yeah. as far in the East Bay as you can go and still mm -hmm. be in the Bay Area. Yep. And we take tremendous pride in, in yeah. that. And it was a great place to grow up. It's a sure. fun little world where we have like a national lab. There's a lot of okay. scientific people there. Yeah. We have tons of wineries and a big old cowboy population. So we kind of have this fun mix of these three different groups. That is fun. And it just makes the world a better place. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, it's really good. It sounds a lot like I went to school in Slow. Oh. And it was a mix of... Wow, I went to Valley. Did you do? I did. Oh, yes. I love Slow. Okay, I continue. Sorry. I knew I liked you for more reasons than that we'd get, but okay, cool. Slow. It's a good Yeah, thing. same kind of deal. Yeah. Smart engineers, uh, cowboys, yeah. liberal arts teachers, All. everything in between. Absolutely. Fun. And it just makes a fun little dynamic to grow up in. Definitely. Like, I think today I'm feeling kind of cowboyish, and tomorrow yeah. I'll feel scientific. It'll be great. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> and what was your family like? So um, I grew up with in a family of four, and okay. my mom and my dad and my brother, and my brother's older than me. Mm -hmm. And my dad worked at the National Lab mm. um, but as an engineer, mm -hmm. but uh, he was a full-time youth pastor because our church didn't have one. No way. So for 35 years, he and my mom volunteered. And so I effectively grew up in a oh. high school youth group. Let's, let okay. me just say, like, that is a magical and in a good way experience. Everyone should have the opportunity to grow up in a high school youth group okay. as a small child. Yeah. Um, and so my childhood was filled with just so many grand adventures and sure. just my parents modeling what it meant to serve yeah. and also me watching so many people as they go through their experience with Jesus and right. what their journey might look like. Yeah. And it, 
I didn't think it had a huge impact on me, but as I get older, um, I just see how all of those stories and all of those bits of my experiences have made me into the person that I am today, mm. especially in the circumstances that I'm in. Sure. It is like those foundations were laid by just watching the people around me and mm. like kind of growing up in a high school youth group. Yeah. And it was super duper fun. Okay. Um, and so I learned very quickly that you do what you love and you bring people with you. And so yeah. that's always been my life motto because that's what I grew up with. Yeah. So I had like my immediate family and then uh -huh. I had all of my church family, which many of them I call my honorary parents. Okay. They're the ones, they're sure. like the parents I listen to when I don't want to listen to my own. Oh um, yeah, I know. I'm Pretty familiar with those. Everybody's got to have one, right? I don't want to listen to my mom. I'm going to call this other person and see what they have to say. Yeah. Um, Who would have thought they would have said the same thing as my mom? I know. <laughs> it's just like they talked beforehand. Oh, it's a little dodgy. Yeah, exactly. It's okay, though. Yeah. <laughs> Which is great because you just grew up in this huge community. Mm -hmm. um, you know, And I'm sure my parents feel better about that, too, in that there's so many people just feeding into my life. Right. So it's just been a really, it was a huge blessing to have yeah. such a, a small family, but then such yeah. a connected family. Got it. it was a cool opportunity. Yeah. yeah. You talk about it very positively. In the moment, were yeah. you the, I'm excited to go to church, or were you the, you can't make me, why are we going again? <laughs> okay, I was the all-in church child. Okay. I was like, the veggie tales, I will choreograph your dances, <laughs> like, it's in S-I-N, like, I was uh -huh. all in, all okay. of it, right? I had all of the songs. We did like all of the musicals. Sure. I did the 30 hour famine. We had all the silly like about that. Oh yeah. my gosh, it's so good. Yeah, I remember like that. it's the best thing wow. in the world, right? Sure. Um, you know, and we did like the rockathon to raise money. We're all in rocking chairs for 24 hours, like raising money for our youth group, going to summer yeah. camps. Like I did it all. I was on the worship team and then I would I was a part of the elder board as like a student representative. Wow. Yeah, it was I mean you know, whatever. It was great, though. I thought sure. it was super cool. So I was the all-in church child. I was in the, like, stage productions, okay. and I knew that I graduated, like, in church world when I was, like, the Bible child. Okay. And in the same production, my dad played Peter, the apostle, sure. and then we both graduated, and he played Jesus, and I played Mary. And we're like, yes, Whoa. we have made it in church world. You did. It was it. a big deal. Had, like, the long robes. It was stunning, really. That's awesome. It was a gorgeous purple. <laughs> wow. Yeah. That just makes me think of so many, like, you unlocked so many childhood memories for me. Because <laughs> I also grew up, um, my mom was my children's minister at the small little Japanese church that we were going to at the yeah. time. And so it was just a mix of going to work with my mom during yeah. the week yeah. and then going there on the weekends. Yeah. And I was kind of like you, where yeah. I was excited. I participated in just about everything. Yeah. But my mom and dad were pretty wise in allowing me to make the choice to go or not Cool. because I think if they would have said you have to go I would have been like nope I'm not Don't. doing that <laughs> doing something completely different yeah, yeah. that's cool that's yeah. a good opportunity it was yeah and so from there um you grew up went to, went through high school there yep uh went off to college at Cal Poly I did I okay. went to Cal Poly it's a great option. <laughs> Fantastic. What'd you study? Uh, I started as a music major in cello performance. No way. Yeah. It okay. was so good. Uh -huh. And then I was like, I don't think I want to teach cello uh -huh. lessons my whole life. Yeah. So I was like, well, I better add a science major because I had a great science teacher in my senior year of high school. And I was like, well, I kind of liked that subject. So I guess I should probably be a scientist. Okay. And so I added the second major and I yeah. was there for six years and everyone was like, six years for your undergrad. Like, you're so not going to be late. I know, right? <laughs> I wish I would have stayed longer. <laughs> right. And there was a lot of other things to be yeah. doing. I was in university mm -hmm. and I was skating and surfing and like, mm -hmm. you know, sleeping on the beach, doing all the things. Gosh, the best. 
obviously. Yeah. And I was like, well, you're not going to be late for the rest of your life. So, yeah, let's just hang out. It's going to yeah. be great. Now, I tried to do well and get good grades and all these things. And there was some tension with the parents who were like, so are you actually getting a degree at the end of this, yeah. right? Yeah, we're paying for another Another year? year? Six sure? years, Jenny? Yeah. Come on now. Yeah. Um, but it was a such such a blessing. I got super involved in InterVarsity, okay. and I was yeah. leading worship for them. Wow. Um, and then it was a church that I was super involved with, which yeah. was also super fantastic. And it was just a great, like, foundational and formative experience for me. Okay. And I got a second major in biology, so yeah. I actually graduated with two degrees in wow. music and biology, okay. which is super fun because it feeds both sides of my brain, and yeah. I can kind of go any direction with it, yeah. which is super duper Definitely. cool. Yeah, it's really a blessing. So we we often hear in church world, like, okay, if you go off to college and you study science, you're gonna come back an atheist. Oh yeah. What was that like growing <laughs> up in church and then yeah. kind of making the transition to yeah. studying biology? Yeah. With having a faith background, how do yeah. you balance that? It was a really interesting journey. I actually had a couple of teachers that pretty like straightforward called me on it, and they're like, oh, "You really? can't be a Christian. You can't be my TA because wow. I think you're gonna." preach at my students or something like Whoa. that. And it was a super, um, okay. and it, it was somewhat like not hostile, that's the wrong word, but it was a very confrontational sure. conversation uh -huh. and a little bit like, whoa, friends, I, I am a scientist. I believe all of these things uh, about the amazing creation. I just believe that God is the one that created it. Mm. And so it took me a long time to figure out kind of that balance. But what I came to is that in my opinion, I think because of the cello major, mm -hmm. um, God is an artist. And when people picture Jesus, they all have these pictures of like, he's holding the sheep or he's got his thing or he's like the warrior Jesus or he's like, you know, hanging on the cross or whatever, or the laughing Jesus. That was the big one yeah. in my church as a child was oh. the laughing Jesus okay. picture. And everybody has these images of who Jesus is to mm -hmm. them. To me, when I picture Jesus, I picture that I'm like sneaking up behind him and he's standing in water and there's like greenery all around. And I like peer through these bushes and he's there with like clay and his hands and he's like molding that clay and creating things so yeah. when I picture him I picture him as an artist first wow. so when I think of him as a scientist I feel like my faith is based on his artwork and so the way I describe it to my students is I say it's like it's like God has left little fruit loops in a trail to his creation and it's my job as a scientist to study to follow those fruit loops to see his creation yeah. because there's gazillions of things we're never going to see that he creates only for his glory. Yeah. And I think that like a musician can never take their hands off their instrument. You're like, stop playing. And they're like, doo, doo, doo. like stop playing. We're trying to talk right now. And musicians can't do that. And I think God can't do that either. I think he's always creating incredible things wow. and that he puts out this little fruit loop trail uh -huh. where everything points back to him. And my job as a scientist is to walk down that fruit loop trail and conveniently because of my background, well, you do what you love and you bring your students with you. Sure. So I'm like, come on, guys, these are the cool things I'm learning about. And and then you can point it back to Jesus and say, don't you see? All of this is his creation. It's his artistry. And so that's my favorite part of my job is actually bringing those two things together because so often we think it's this dichotomy, but it's uh -huh. not. They feed hmm. beautifully into each other. Yeah. And so I would, I would challenge anyone who says that the faith and science can't go together, I would say, no, actually, I think they fit beautifully together. And so, you know, consider like looking at God's path as he builds this world and these mm -hmm. people and his creation and look at it as an artist. And our faith is studying all of these cool things he's created for us to find. And it's so cool. Like, okay, I have to tell you one quick one because I'm a yeah, nerd. Yeah, please. Okay. 
They just discovered a few years ago this octopus that like lives in the bottom of the ocean. They live really, really low. So and the little like elephant octopus or octopus. I wish, but I do love that happy about. friend. <laughs> yeah, I just want to be like a little cute one. Little guy, I, I love about. you. Okay, um, but it's not that one. But All it's right. a really cool one. Close. But it sits on its eggs for four years. That's like unheard of in the animal kingdom world, at least as far as my knowledge. Now, there's probably someone who knows more in the world than I do about this. Or but I'm knew like, that octopuses had eggs. Um, yeah, they <laughs> sit there on these eggs for four years. How the mother feeds, we don't know. How it survives, we don't know. It's at a really cold temperature. So we think like the mother kind of goes into this like semi-hibernation situation. Wow. But it's so cool. And we just discovered it like a few years ago. Yeah. And I'm like, that is God being like, isn't this nifty? And look at I've given you the technology yeah. and the knowledge now to look for that and study it. Wow. Right? Or like the sparkle muffin spider. It's this little tiny spider and it's all rainbowy on its backside. It's like the size of your thumbnail. We just discovered it like in 2016, 2018. We didn't even know this whole entire family of spiders existed and they're super pretty because they're rainbow colored. And also they have this fabulous like courtship ritual that they do and it's just <laughs> incredibly cool. And to me, it's just so much evidence that God is such an artist. Yeah. And I love as a scientist that I get to be like, guys, Look at look what we get yeah. to look at today. Yeah. Anyway, sorry that was a little science moment, but it's so cool. Yes. So that's kind of how I feel like the two come sure. together, and I love that. So it sounds like you didn't go on to teach cello full time afterwards. No. 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 Okay. I actually uh, found that my passions lie in the intersection of things. Mm. So a lot of times we're like, I'm going to be a marine biologist, and you go study marine biology, sure. and that's great, and we affirm that. And then you're like, I'm a musician. I'm going to go study music. And that's great. And we affirm that. But it's in the intersections of things that weird stuff happens. And so I actually went on. Mm. I got master's in both degrees. Yeah. And I um, actually teach classes at San Jose State and on various online colleges that are like the neuroscience of music cognition. And it's like how our brain processes music yeah. and how our body responds to music. Yeah. And so it's fun because it's kind of this, I'm not researching in it or anything, but I get to learn about it. And it's super cool to see how our brain, the science of our brain and the interaction of how music fits into that. So it's been a really fun game to kind of take all the things I love. You know, everyone tells you, choose your path. I'm like, I don't, I don't want to. So I just kept going in all of the paths to see where we kind of came together. Sure. And now I get to dabble in all the things, which wow. is like so fun. That is awesome. <laughs> it's incredible. Cool. And yeah. you're a teacher now? I'm a teacher now. I teach high school okay. science. Um, I teach biology and anatomy and physiology to 9th, 10th, 11th, and 12th graders. Okay. I teach in a couple colleges, too, just for kicks and giggles on the side. Yeah. And it is the best job in the history of the world, I'm pretty sure. If you're in the <laughs> market for a new job, you should probably consider teaching because it's amazing. <laughs> That's a great pitch for teaching. I uh, I also have married a teacher. Yes. And so she's been in, in and out of the classroom in education for the last 10 years or so. She went to Cal Poly as well. Yeah. She studied education. Love so it. that Love was it. great. But we need more teachers. We do. We really do. Guys, it's fun. Yeah. You can like seriously influence the path of someone's future. Mm -hmm. Not that we're trying to be like power hungry, but oh my gosh, I could have someone <laughs> who doesn't like science. By the end of the year, they could like like science and then I've won. Right. Anyway. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> so then let's talk about um, after you studied in Slow, did you move back up here or yeah. what was life like after that? Yeah. So I actually met uh, my husband in mm -hmm. Slow. He was my sound guy and I was his worship leader. It's and then we. Sound guy. Oh, yeah. And nice. I really didn't like him for the record. He was like, um, really? your sound sucks. And I was like, oh. <laughs> 
Um, I'm a music major. Yeah. You can't tell me that my sound sucks. Also, who do you think you are telling me, the worship leader, that my sound sucks? No, thank you very much. Anyways, we figured out our differences. It okay. was fine. Yeah. And then the next year, he was the worship leader, and I was his backup cellist and pianist and vocalist. <laughs> and so we worked it out, <laughs> and we became super good friends. Yeah. In the last two weeks of our time at Cal Poly, we decided that we actually like needed to have the DTR and define uh, the relationship. Sure. And we started dating, which was great. But okay. he was an engineer. And mm -hmm. so he went to um, Colorado and Costa Rica with engineers. Uh, it's called Engineering Ministries International. It's kind of like engineering without borders. Oh, okay. Um, to go design bridges in, you know, at-risk communities Whoa. and all of that. And I went to inner city Fresno to go do a service project uh, for a couple years, um, looking at God's Heart for the Poor and issues of social injustice figured while I was there, I should get a master's. So I worked on my master's in Fresno, which was great. I was at um, Cal State Fresno, okay. and it was great. And then uh, Josh finished his time in Colorado and Costa Rica, and he went to UC Berkeley and got his master's. Okay. So then we both graduated at the same time. We got married. Were you dating that whole time? The whole time. The whole time. Long so distance is tough. It's tough, but it forces good communication. Yeah. And also, like... Yes, go and do. Like, yeah. this is the time we have the time to do it. Okay. I was doing my thing. He was doing his thing. Mm -hmm. We'd do phone calls at weird hours because he was in Costa Rica. Yeah, that happens. <laughs> it happens. We get through it. It's fun. <laughs> and then uh, we both graduated. We got married a couple weeks later, and we uh, started living in Fremont. He got a job. There was, at the time, we had the whole housing crisis and the bubble pop oh, yeah. and all of these things. Mm -hmm. And so there was only one company hiring, and there was two positions, and Homeboy got the job, which was amazing. Whoa. And it was right here in San Jose, uh, okay. just downtown right by the, the Shark Tank or the yeah. HP Pavilion or whatever, yeah. the SAP Center. Um, and I started teaching in the community colleges, and okay. we lived in Fremont for a while. Yeah. Then we bought a house in San Jose and did the things. Got a house, had kids, got involved in churches, continued yeah. to work. It was great. Wow. It was like the dream life. <laughs> was he from here as well? Yeah, he actually grew up um, just in South San Jose also, and his family is all oh, here no as well. Okay. Yeah, so he grew up here in San Jose, and he is a pastor's kid also. And oh. so he grew up in the church doing so all of the So you guys get it. We get it. We're okay. the first ones there, the last ones to leave. That's what we do. <laughs> mm. And it was great. And his parents were also super musically involved for a oh, long okay. time. So he grew up as like the church kid in the choirs and doing all the things. Sure. And then they had other pastoral positions, but he, he got it. We yeah. did it together. We were the PK kids. Yeah. <laughs> it was great. And then how'd you guys find yourselves to Menlo? Yeah. So we, uh, when we first got married, we went to Josh's family's church, which at mm -hmm. the time was, um, well, it's Redemption now. And it was mm -hmm. great. We loved the worship team. It was such a blessing to be a part of it. Incredible musicians, yeah. just an incredible experience. Really, really large church. And we loved mm -hmm. it. Mm -hmm. But it was such a big church. It was hard for us to mm -hmm. find connection um, with people that were like us. And so we went there for a long time. We had our first kid, and it was just really difficult to find um, a place to connect mm. with people that were like us. Also, because it was such a big church, people were coming from all over the Bay Area. Right. And, like, we were going, you know, to, like, Belmont for our um, life group, which is great. We love those people. It's just a long drive on a weeknight. And so yeah. we started looking around at other churches, and my friend at work, I work at a Christian school, so my friend at work was like, hey, I go to the Menlo Park main campus, but we're opening this San Jose campus. And I was like, oh, 
okay, let's check it out. And I knew that I loved the teachings that were coming Mm -hmm. from Melmo, and I had a really good friend who attended here at the main campus, and he's like, yeah, you should check it out. And so we started checking it out, and it was when we were at Branham High School, and we loved that it had the backing of a of a big church, but it was a small church community, yeah. and it was like six minutes from our house, which was that also helps incredible, right? Yeah. Um, and when we first got there, like our kid was totally welcomed and loved. We could see ourselves being involved, and really quickly, um, we just got involved in the worship team. We both auditioned together, and oh. we were both uh, re- like accepted or whatever sure. onto the worship team. Yeah. We were received, approved? accepted, approved. Until your sound was good? <laughs> we were told that our sound was okay. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> so dodgy. Yeah. Um, and so we quickly began to build our community. We joined a life group. And at first we joined this life group and they were glorious. But oh. they were all on a different stage of life than us. Like, okay. you know, 40 or so years older than us. And we loved them. We're like, maybe we should find like a young families. And at the time I was super pregnant with our second kid. Super pregnant. So I was like, yeah. maybe we should go to like a young families life group. Sure. So we found our life group then that was, uh, what was that? Like six, seven years ago. Uh-huh. And we're still with them. Wow. Like it's our group. They're our people. They're our tribe. Um, yeah. And they've just done life with us. So okay. we got connected and then we've been with Melmo ever since. Wow. Yeah. How quickly were you there since like they had like their first Sunday there? Like, yeah. were you there on that first Sunday? The first Sunday in the new in the like theater in San Jose, yeah, yeah, the San Jose campus. Yeah, we were there. No way. It was super cool. Yeah, it was just a really incredible blessing to be a part of that transition. Yeah. And um, I don't know if we were there on the official first Sunday. I feel like we were out sure. of town, but we were there from the beginning. You know. Okay. And that was I think it was Adam Patelke. Yeah. As a pastor. Yes. Was Bryce the worship leader? Yes. Oh my gosh. Uh, was it Bryce? No, it wasn't Tatiana? Bryce. It was Renee for like 12 oh, minutes. Oh, Renee, yeah. Yeah, and then it was Bryce, and then it was, and then it was Tatiana. Got it. And we loved all of our worship leaders. Oh, it was just such a fun community yeah. to build into, uh-huh. and it was super cool to be like a husband-wife team on the worship team together, yeah. so we got to enjoy that a lot. Definitely. And Adam Patelke was like, he started teaching at my school also, so oh, he was yeah. my pastor and also my colleague at school, and uh-huh. so he was a football coach. That's so. when he was the football coach? Yeah, he'd come downstairs yeah. and like check out my science, and I'd go check out his games, but I know nothing about football. <laughs> Good job, Adam. Did he know anything about science? No, I'm not sure he knew all that much, but it was cool. That's really like, funny. Like, go my favorite sports team. Yep. Good job, Adam's team. Cool. Get the goal. Yep. Do the thing. Yep. Run faster. <laughs> it was really fun. Nice. So that was also really cool just to have him on campus. Like, even though we hardly saw each other, just to have him around and be like, hey, those are my church yeah. people. You it's know. nice when your communities can kind of overlap. Totally. And in San Jose, it's a big place, so that mm-hmm. doesn't happen all that often. Mm-hmm. You know, so that was just a really cool thing to yeah. have that there as well and then you had your second kid we had a second kid and so we joined our new life group with the young adults people just right right after we had our second kid Mm -hmm. and we were like huh so my second kid as a scientist is super fascinating as a mother is a little bit terrifying Mm. he was born with 12 toes and so nobody caught it like the doctors didn't catch it but like four hours after he was born josh was like hang on a ticket whoa what's going on and he like, called the nurse over. He's like, I'm really tired. Can you just confirm? Like, are there 12 toes there? Whoa. And there were. And so we knew pretty quick we weren't on a typical path. We were hoping yeah. that it would just be like, a, you know, oh, mm-hmm. we just removed the toes and we're going to be good. But that's kind of an odd conversation. Hey, congratulations. You just had a kid. And when are you cutting his toes off? Yeah. What? <laughs> so that's kind yeah. of an odd conversation. So we joined our life group, like not selfishly, but a little bit like, oh, gosh we need some solid support. Like we're going to need some help. So I remember at our mm-hmm. first life group meeting being like, um, hi, yeah, we're Josh and Jenny and we have kids and we're going to have a pretty significant surgery on our second kid, like in the near future. So 
dinners. <laughs> yeah. Like you don't want to be that person, but we were like, we need prayer. We yeah. need prayer and we need dinners because <laughs> yeah. we just didn't know and we sure. were terrified, yeah. you know. And so we joined that life group and they were kind of like and still are our backbone and our support and all of that. Wow. Um, you know, and then we had a third kid and that was amazing and delightful. And the fear of having a third kid after the second one has some pretty significant things that we didn't right. know what they were mm -hmm. and we didn't understand. And so mm -hmm. my mom was a special ed teacher. And so there's enough knowledge there to know that we don't know quite enough, but also like, what path are we on? Mm -hmm. um, that was a scary journey. So to have that group of friends who had kids of the same age to be like, hey, this is happening, and just to have that support and love, mm -hmm. and also people that knew us and knew our kids for who they were, to feel accepted and loved and not judged, like mm -hmm. that was huge for us. Yeah. To know that I could bring my kids and not be embarrassed or ashamed or nervous about how they would act. Not that any parent wants to be that, but you know we all have those moments where you're like, oh yeah, my kid just did that, sorry. Yeah. You know, it was, it was really cool. It still is really cool. Yeah. That we go through this life together in that way. Yeah. It's really huge. Wow. Yeah, sorry. That was a lot of words. <laughs> no, that's okay. And so did it end up being more than just 12 toes? Yeah. Okay. So in October, so we chose to not get him tested. We got him tested. No. We started down the path very young because okay. as a special ed teacher's daughter, I knew like early intervention is a big deal, mm. whatever we can do to support. And mm -hmm. he was not hitting milestones super well, but he had some significant surgeries in the first year of life. And so there was like questions about like, are we not hitting milestones because of those surgeries? Okay. And so we weren't quite sure. And I love, like, I'm so grateful for medical and our medical system and all of that. But I also know that sometimes once you get on the treadmill, it can be hard to get off of it and to right. know when it's appropriate to get off of that. Like, we're going to keep going until we find answers, but we don't have answers. And so we chose to get him as many supports as we could. We chose to pursue a little more, but everybody was kind of scratching their head. Hmm. Um, you know, as a scientist, you know you win when you meet with a doctor and they pull up an x-ray. Oh. And they're like, the, when the surgeon is speechless, you're like, Oh, okay. oh, that's a different path. Wish this wasn't my kid. But right, right. As, okay. a scientist, as a scientist, tell me really about cool. what you're thinking. What process is going yeah. on in your head? And as a mother, you're as like, a mom, oh. please reassure me. Everything's going to be okay. <laughs> please tell me it's okay that this yeah. is normal and you see it every day. So yeah. there's always this dichotomy sure. in my life. Like, scientist's cool, mother. Yeah. Okay. Um, and so, you know, we chose to get him all the services that we could mm -hmm. to support him as best we could. Um, but we were finding that as he was getting older, there were more milestones that we were missing. There were things that were not super typical. Mm. And we got a little bit like, okay, we don't want to stick our head in the sand. Um, we want to make sure that we are doing our due diligence. And so for various reasons, during the first part of the global shutdown during the COVID-19 pandemic, we're not happy about that. But as a scientist, it was super fascinating. So we're in the shelter in place and we were just really aware because I was sitting there doing school with my kid every moment of every day, mm -hmm. just realizing like we are really not accessing um, this material or accessing this material well. Right. And then we started to like, okay, maybe we need to push a little harder um, and because I had a background, I worked at that national lab for a very short period of time in my, in my college years. And I had a background a little bit in genetics. So I was a little bit nervous to step into the genetics realm because of my experience with the research that I had been doing. Mm -hmm. And so I just want to be super confident that, that was the right path before we start looking for things that were wrong. Cause mm. sometimes in genetics, mm -hmm. if you go looking for things that are wrong, you're going to find things that are wrong because everybody has weird things in genetics. And I wasn't super confident. Okay. 
But we decided to go down the path and we okay. got him genetically tested and they did find that he had a super duper rare genetic disorder. There's 23 cases in the entire world, which, you know, as a scientist, well, if they're going to have something, it might as well be rare and cool. Yeah. Yes, please. Okay. But as a mother, like, oh, gosh, there's one paper that's written on his condition. Um, and so, of course, like this is the funny ways that God works, right? Because, of course, with my background, I was able to read that paper and understand it, yeah. which is cool because my background is in science. But, you know, also I can read the paper and understand it. And if I didn't understand bits, I could go get help from sure. my people. Um so his condition is a neurodegenerative disorder uh, where he will eventually deteriorate and there's a high likelihood that I will outlive him. Mm. And because it's such a rare thing, there are so many different expressions of that particular disorder. And so we just have to be monitored by, mm -hmm. I think we see 17 specialists at Lucille Packard right now, just keeping an eye on all of the things because nothing is, nothing is terrible. But nothing's exactly right either. And mm -hmm. so that's kind of the journey that we were on. Mm -hmm. We chose to get him tested and we're glad that we did and we are able to get services. And mm -hmm. I'm so blessed to be close to Lucille Packard, like the mecca of a lot of these places. I've been able to work with Lucille Packard to get some articles published to reach out and encourage parents. Like if you're on a, a hard path, like find someone to walk with you and like the genetics team has become my go-to team, which who would have thought, uh, um, to have those supports and those services in place. And so we just feel super blessed to have like Lucille Packard and super blessed to have a life group that has walked this journey. Mm. And even our leadership at our church, you know, um, there's been a lot of turnover um, just because things were hard for you guys in the pandemic. I cannot imagine like trying to hold the church together in a pandemic. Mm -hmm. um, but just having people that know our story and our journey that are like, hey, I don't know what you're doing today, but like we're praying for you. Like having people that are current, it's, it just means so much. Yeah. So, yeah, it's not really the journey we wanted, but um, here we are. Yeah. And I am so grateful for him okay. and for my other children and uh -huh. for the journey that we have in the sense of, well, let's do it together. Sure. There it is. Did you stop at three or did you have more? We had three. Okay. That was enough, man. You had three and three is done. the chaos is real. Okay. And were you in the same house that you originally moved into in yeah. San Jose? Or did you have to upgrade and get yeah. more space? Or? So we moved between kid two and three. Okay. We were like, okay. We had a, a two bedroom, one bath. And it was great, and we loved yeah, it. It was sure. in the Alum Rock area, and oh. it was glorious. Mm -hmm. We were like, oh, if we're going to have another kid, probably another, uh, a slightly larger house, and we were fortunate to be able to do that. And so that was just a huge blessing. Yeah. And we bought this house that was falling apart in all of its ways, but that's the only way sure. we could afford it because that's how it is. You know, yep. the dirt was spray-painted you know green, <laughs> right? <laughs> like, oh, is that grass? Nice. No, that's spray-paint on the dirt. Yep. Awesome, we'll yep. take that. Cool. That's fine. It's basically artificial turf at that point. Totally, Yeah. which means in our price range, so yeah. we're good with that. <laughs> um, so we bought a house, and so we have the blessing and the opportunity to get to fix up a house, which is tons of fun. Mm -hmm. We're very DIY-type people. And uh, it was a huge blessing. Yeah. Yeah. Wow. And you're still in the house now? Still in the house now. Okay. Yep. Projects are still finishing up. Okay. Well, I think that always happens in homeownership. Usually does. <laughs> Generally just keeps does. going forever yeah. and ever and ever. Oh, yeah. yeah. And so uh, developmental wise, I yeah. think you told me that um, your son was like moves okay, but yeah. but is better off when exercising or, yeah. or stuff like that as well. And so that kind of played a role in why you bought the house that you bought. Yeah. Well, and it's funny because we 
didn't plan on this, but oh, the Lord okay. knows his things. Funny how that happens. We're like, the Lord gives you what you need before you even realize that you need it. Mm. So we bought this house. It was spray painted. The mm -hmm. dirt was spray painted. Mm -hmm. It had a pool mm -hmm. in the backyard. We didn't necessarily want a pool. We love water. We are water people. Okay. But we didn't really want a pool necessarily because it's like a lot of maintenance. Better to like run through the sprinklers and have friends that have pools. But it's <laughs> a top tip. You know, there you go. Yeah. But like the rebar was sticking out in the pool. The concrete was showing through. And we're like, yeah. but it still holds water. Okay. So I think a lot of people weren't interested in the house because of that. And it was in a state I would call of elegant decay. Like clearly someone really loved it. But over time, it just kind of was starting to fall apart. Um, and so we bought it and we fixed it up and we have done a lot to fix up that pool. And when Asher got his diagnosis, because his muscles are deteriorating, actually one of the best things is to have him swim. Like who knew, right? Yep. So when we got his diagnosis, we actually originally, we were like, okay, the cost to fix the pool versus like fill it in correctly in landscape, it's gonna be probably about the same. Mm -hmm. So when we got his diagnosis, we were like, actually change of plans. We're gonna go ahead and fix up the pool and not fill it in mm -hmm. and we're gonna keep it. Mm -hmm. And it was such a funny moment of like, okay, Lord, you got us a house with a pool, which we didn't necessarily want. It was in a bad condition. Mm -hmm. We were already having the conversations about whether we should fix it or fill it in. Right. And we got the diagnosis when we did. And we were like, oh, okay, pivot. We'll go ahead yeah. and just fix the pool. Yeah. And so we're going to keep it and stay in the house because yeah. Asher needs the pool. Yeah. Yeah. It's amazing. Yeah. And then just to give kind of people a heads up of where this is going, the next part yeah. of the conversation is probably going to be a little bit heavier. Yeah. Yeah. Um, Transition. And so I'm just praying that it, it is okay for you and you, you can share what you feel like sharing. And We'll um, do it. I'm here. Yeah, we'll talk about kind of the things that happened while moving into fixing up this totally. pool. Totally. Yeah. So we started uh, fixing up the pool um, mm -hmm. in, I think it was 2020 is when we, October, mm -hmm. well, right after his diagnosis in October of 2020. And my husband, who I adore, his name's Josh. So Josh is amazing, but he's very like, I'm not going to pay people to shovel dirt out of my yard. I can shovel my own dirt. Thank you very much. Mm -hmm. So we would go out during the pandemic. Like, I know it was a hard time for so many people, but it was such a blessing for us. Mm. We were a tight family and we did okay. It was hard. It was hard. Sure. But like, I'm a raging germaphobe who also like studies and talks about pandemics. My degree is in infectious disease. Like, Wow. This yeah. is cool. I mean, I'm, yes, it's tragic and we don't want people dying, but also science is happening all around me and I get to be a part of it. <laughs> yeah. Oh, and I am a raging introvert who is a germaphobe. But you mean I have to stay in my house all day, every day with my family and stay away from germs? I got to teach in Zoom, but I can wear my jammy pants every day? How is this a bad situation? Yeah. So for us, the pandemic was actually kind of a cool opportunity. Yeah. Oh, the power went down. Okay, great. Bike ride. Let's all go. You know, mm -hmm. it was just a really cool opportunity. So because we were re like fixing up the pool at the time, we would go out in the afternoons and the evenings and we would do a little dirt shoveling, sure. do a little kicking of a ball, mm -hmm. you know. Mm -hmm. And that's what most of our weekends were, too. And it was great. Um, so during the time that we were fixing up the pool, I'm a teacher. I go to bed at like 8 o'clock at night. Um, but Josh was a night owl. And he used to love to just go out in the evenings. And, you know, in the spring, it's still light for quite a long time. Yeah. And he'd set up all these work lights. And he'd work till about 10 o'clock at night, usually. And he always used to tell me, Jenny, it's my happy place. In the evening, my kids are in bed. My wife is asleep. And he would put a story or a sermon. We figured out you didn't have to to watch church on Sundays. You could do it in the evening. 
when your kids were in bed and mm -hmm. you weren't trying to juggle your children during the worship? What? What a crazy idea. Mm -hmm. So we would watch church in the evenings. And that particular week uh, that he was outside working, where I'm going with this, he was. Um, we didn't watch church together because I was folding laundry. And I had gone to bed and he was like, this is my happy place. I got a sermon in my ears. I'm shoveling. The wind is at my back and my family is safe. Mm -hmm. So he's like, I'm going to go out and work, Jen. I'm like, go, go, Josh, mm -hmm. be free. I'm going to go to bed. It's eight o'clock. It's well past my bedtime. Yeah. <laughs> and so he went out to work on a Tuesday evening and he was working on a conduit line uh, right near the pool company had just redone the plumbing and our pool was empty. But of course we have small children. So we have nets up everywhere for added safety, just to make sure there were no issues. Mm -hmm. And he went out shoveling this one night, and he, uh, I woke up at 2 in the morning, and he was not in bed with me. And I was mm -hmm. like, Joshua, did you lose track of time? Because mm -hmm. sometimes he would do that. Okay. Like, are you up till 2 in the morning shoveling? Homeboy, come to bed. Mm -hmm. Like, come on. So I go out to look for him, and I can't see him. And I don't know where he is. All of his work lights are on. The cars are there. Sometimes Asher has trouble at night. So I thought, well, maybe he's laying with Asher. So I went into all the kids' bedrooms to see if he had fallen asleep while snuggling with one of the kids. Sometimes, because I hate getting gas, he would, like, take my car and go get gas. I'm like, well, maybe he went to get gas. Couldn't find him anywhere. So I called the police, and I said, you know, my husband is missing. And at this point, like, I'm pretty nervous, obviously, mm -hmm. and I'm, I'm starting to like walk around the house and like look for him and look for signs of him, and I can't find anything. Mm -hmm. He had his favorite shovel and his favorite tool, this big old bar called a Mongo bar. Anyway, and those were both leaning against the fence, so like he hadn't even been using them. I was like, what is happening? And when you drain a pool of the water, you have to drill holes in the bottom of the pool because the groundwater will actually push the pool out of the ground, which is crazy. So you have mm. to drill these holes so that the water can come into the pool a little mm -hmm. bit. And so in the deep end of the pool, there's like uh, 12, 14 inches of water. And it's been that way for like a month now, like not a big deal. But when I went out to look for him, you know, the safety net is all around the pool. And I called the cops, I looked everywhere, and then I went back out while I was on the, the phone with the police and I stood on the lawn and I looked into the bottom of the pool very carefully. But because he had so much light on the deck where he was working, there was just shadow in that deep part of the pool and it's water. So mm. it's like shiny. So sure. it's just shiny surface. Yeah. And I looked super closely and I saw this bump mm. in the bottom of the pool. And I was like, oh no. And so I'm on the phone and I don't quite remember what I said, but I'm in flip-flops and socks and I take this flying leap over this very tall fence and I like run down to the bottom of the pool and Josh is there in the bottom of the pool and he was laying on his back and um when I looked the first thing I noticed is that the water is no longer water like his body is very broken and now um all of mm -hmm. his blood is filling the pool um and so but his face is out of the water because it's only like 12 14 inches deep so true confessions, my first thought was like, oh my gosh, this is gross. It's a biohazard. <laughs> and also like, this is my husband. Mm -hmm. Is this real? So I stood there and I yeah. looked really deep for a second and I'm on the phone. And I remember saying to the, to the dispatcher, like, oh my gosh, call 911. No, wait, don't call 911. I'm on the phone with you right now. Um, mm -hmm. I found my husband. Please send help. He's not okay. And so, you know, then the dispatcher is talking to me and talking me through the things. And I'm mm -hmm. 
wade into the water and I get down on my knees and I, this is where the science kind of like saved me, right? I started doing chest compressions. I started to look for signs of life and, you know, um, there were lots of things that I knew indicated that he had been there for a long time, like, you know, hours mm -hmm. and I, just by how he felt and mm -hmm. I'm a scientist, so I was looking for certain things and mm -hmm. sure enough, it was very apparent to me that he had been there for a while. And I remember thinking like, find this structure and look for this and why is this looking like this? This doesn't make sense. Like my brain couldn't compute yeah. all of the pieces. But I remember thinking like, I'm in flannel jammy pants and socks and I'm soaking wet and people are coming and I have children in the house. So I'm on the phone to the dispatcher person still and I run inside and I change my clothes because I know that people are coming. Mm -hmm. And I go back down and continue chest compressions and I, um, I hear the paramedics running down like the side yard yeah. of my house. And I remember yelling, we're here, we're down here, please come help me. And so they come down and I don't remember, I kind of blacked out at this part. Well, my brain blocked it, I think. I didn't actually like, pass out or anything, but I remember that they got there to Josh and I remember looking at them as they were getting ready to do their things. And I remember saying, can I please not be here for this part? And so they said, yes. I said, what can I do? And they said, please go inside. And I was like, oh yeah, the kids, I gotta go take care of the kids. So I went into my house and I sat in my front room, my entire back of my house, the whole back of the house, including my bedroom and all the living room, kitchen, family room, all looks in the backyard. So I went into the one part of the house where it didn't look at the backyard. And I sat on the couch and the police are questioning me because, of course, I'm prime suspect number one. Like, mm -hmm. how did he get into this position? And so I'm sort of under guard. They were wonderful. They were respectful. They were kind. They were very amazing police officers, but I'm obviously under guard, right? Yeah. And they're asking me all these questions and I immediately call my sister-in-law because she lives locally. Mm -hmm. And I said, Sarah, please come. Josh fell into the pool and he's not okay. So then Sarah comes and uh, they question her, I guess, as, as she's coming in. And then I called my parents. I tried to call Josh's parents, but they were not available. Um, they were sleeping, shockingly. Mm -hmm. So it's two o'clock in the morning. Mm -hmm. um, and so I called my parents and I said, please come. My mom says I was yelling. I don't know that I was yelling, but anyways. <laughs> and they questioned my parents on the way in too because they're trying to see if our stories are straight. Sure. Anyway, and I was holding it together. I literally had the thought of like, what is the appropriate thing to do right now? I yeah. don't know. I don't know what the right thing is. Um, but I know that as soon as my daddy got there, I just kind of lost it because, and I talked to my friend about it later and I was crying and crying and I was like, I don't know why. I was fine until dad got there. She goes, of course, because you were safe again, because mm -hmm. you weren't in danger and there was someone to help you. Mm -hmm. And I was like, yeah, that's exactly what it was. I was safe again. Anyway, long story short. So the investigation is going on long story long, I guess. <laughs> the investigation is going on at six o'clock in the morning. All of my back walls are windows and my children are going to wake up. It's a school night. This is a Wednesday morning now. Yeah. And I'm like, oh gosh, we need to put up sheets because the water that is no longer water mm. is still there. They're still working on Josh. So at 6 a.m., mm -hmm. oh, they aren't working on Josh. Josh was taken away, but the police are all still doing their investigation. Sure. And so I'm like, do we put sheets up? I don't have any blinds. I don't want my kids to see any of this. Anyway, the um, investigator comes in and says, you know, Josh has died. 
and he went through a lot of words that I can't really remember all of those words. Um, but I remember asking, um, I have two questions if you don't mind, please. And he said, what? I said, do you know how he died? And I know the world we live in. Am I going to need to go downtown today? He said, no, you don't need to go downtown today. I didn't know this, but later I found out that the police had gone and questioned all of my neighbors. And my neighbors all knew us. It speaks to the value of our community, right? They all knew that Josh goes out in the backyard and he shovels. That's what he does. We were building the deck. We had small kids. We always had church people over. They knew who we were and they knew what we did. And so I didn't ever have to go downtown. There was no question. And, um, you know, they think they thought at the time that he broke his neck um, and uh, he died instantly. It turns out later that it was not quite that, but close enough. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. And so I was kind of um, hurled onto a path that I was not anticipating. Yeah. So the next few days were filled with um, <laughs> explaining to your children and telling people mm-hmm. what had happened, figuring out what to do next. Mm-hmm. Um, because I found Josh in his broken state, I had and still have uh, pretty fantastic PTSD, which as a scientist, <laughs> really cool. Like, good job, brain. I see what you're doing there. Mm-hmm. Nice job. Good attention to detail. <laughs> but, you know, as a human, like, it's not great, you mm-hmm. know. And so um, uh, I had gone through significant trauma, and so the world was a really scary place. Yeah. And still I live in that fear a little tiny bit. I remember laying in bed with Shiloh, my at the time two-year-old, And I just remember laying there and thinking, oh, my gosh, God, how am I going to do this? I have a special needs kid who just got a terminal diagnosis. I have a seven-year-old boy and I have a two-year-old girl. What am I going to do? You know, but that was kind of the journey that I got to got to that I was was foisted upon me. What Mm -hmm. is that word? That was the journey that I got to that. I that was the dark and wretched path that I was put on. It's a better way to say it. Yeah. <laughs> what do you say? Mm-hmm. It's not what we wanted. It's not great. But here's where I am. Mm. And I'm okay that I'm here because mm-hmm. this is where I am and I'm going to live with that. Mm. Yeah. Thank you for sharing. Glad to do it. I, I can't ask, like, questions. Just ask. Of it. what, did, what was it like? I mean, what yeah. was... How, how did you... Yeah. How the world become? Is the world safe now? No. How how does that yeah. affect how you view things? How does it affect your relationship with God? Yeah. Motherhood, all of it. All of it. It's such an interesting journey. So, the long and the short of it, when it comes to the world and its safety, apparently, I teach psychology at a couple colleges, and so I know just a tiny bit. I don't know very much, but okay. I know a little bit. And apparently there are, like, different levels of trauma, and when you go through, like, an expected death, it's tragic. Mm-hmm. But it impacts you differently when you go through an unexpected death, and it's a different thing if you find the person versus, like, the news is broken to you. Mm. So I had fallen into, like, kind of the worst of all the categories. Yeah. So the fear of the world being unsafe was super real Mm -hmm. and I still live in that fear Mm. the fear now is more like like it's really hard when your seven-year-old son is looking into the backyard the day after his father dies Mm. and we're literally siphoning the not water out of the bottom of the pool Mm -hmm. he can't see anything but he sees the hose coming out Mm. and he looks at me and says mom did daddy bleed a lot when he died? Mm. 
Mm. And I say, yeah. Yeah, he did. And he goes, is that hose taking daddy's blood out of the bottom of the pool? Mm. And I said, yeah. And then your son turns to you and says, how come God did that to us? And what do you say? That's not in the Bible. What do you say to your child? Ah, the Lord giveth and take away. <laughs> like, what do you say? Um, and I feel like the Spirit has moved in me in, in good, but also unexpected in weird ways. Um, the way that I manage all of these things is I say, I remember saying very early on, there's a song, the It Is Well song, which for the record, it's not well. I'm not there yet. Someday I might be, but it's not well. But the, I think it's the Bethel version has a bridge and it says, through it all, through mm -hmm. it all, my mm -hmm. eyes are on you. And it became kind of like my inappropriate language to God of like, okay, God, this is not what I wanted, but my eyes are on you, like in a snarky upset child sort of voice. Mm -hmm. You know, my dad uh, loves the Lord dearly. And every now and then I would get that snarky voice and he goes, Jenny, Jenny, that's my God. And my dad and I are super close. But he's like, be gentle with my God. And I'm like, he doesn't need gentleness. He'll be all right. He doesn't need it. Mm -hmm. I'm going to go ahead and curse at him. Mm -hmm. I'm going to pound his chest and be like, what are you doing? This man that loved you, that loved us, that was a servant for you, you took him. To be clear, I don't think God took him, but God allowed it to happen, right? Mm -hmm. And so that, that song, through it all, through it all, my eyes are on you, that was where it started. Mm -hmm. And then people would ask, like my high school students especially, they're like, we don't want to know about God. Not all of them love Jesus, turns out. We want to know, how do you get out of bed every morning? We don't care about your spiritual, like the Lord is protecting you and he's covered you in peace. And that's not where I was anyway. I'm like, I hope I can say that in 20 years, but I really can't. I, like, I don't feel like God is carrying me. I kind of feel like he dropped me in a pile of cow dung, mm -hmm. which is not great. Mm -hmm. Maybe in 20 years I can say that, but I can't say that now. And I couldn't say that to my students and my people. I'm like, I'm great. The Lord, is, the Lord called him home early. no. No, take someone else. God's got lots of people. Why did you take my guy? Mm -hmm. So when my students asked me that, they said, how are you doing this? How are you teaching? How are you here? Mm -hmm. And I said, and this was a Holy Spirit moment because I don't know where it came from. I said, I am hanging on to God's belt loop. And he is dragging me along on the path that he has for me. Mm -hmm. I don't like it. I don't want to be here. Mm -hmm. But I know that he has some kind of light and the darkness that surrounds me on this path is so much more scary to me than the plan that he has for me. So I will hold on to this belt loop and I'll let him drag me along because he is carrying the light. And I am more afraid of wow. that darkness than I am of the light that he carries. So I'm here and I'm not excited about it, mm -hmm. but I will stay close to him because that darkness scares me to death. And that light is the only hope that I have. Mm -hmm. So when people ask me, where is God in all of this? I say, I'm hanging on to his belt loop. Mm -hmm. And it's very interesting because it's been about two years now. Yeah. As I've progressed through this, I've thought a lot about how I would say, I don't have the better words for it, but my entire life has built to this moment. These foundations at Menlo Church, in InterVarsity, in my childhood, growing up in this church youth group, mm -hmm. those foundations have built in me 
I call them the fibers of God. I don't know. That was a Holy Spirit moment too. Mm -hmm. Someone was asking me like, how are you held together? And I said, I guess it's just the fibers of God. I, I wish that I could describe better, but it's literally this feeling I have of all of these beautifully sparkly and rainbow colored fibers that run through my, my soul. And I feel like those fibers are holding me together. And so it feels weird to say, but I very much feel like the Lord has built my entire life to these moments mm -hmm. to say, don't you see, Jenny, I built you for this. So at night, things are still terrifying. My head gets into weird places. I watch movies all night long, even now, because I know that if I wake up, my head's got to turn to something else really fast mm -hmm. because otherwise I get into dark and scary places pretty quick. And the only way that I can find enough peace to turn off the lights in my house, which there are a lot of lights that are still left on, mm -hmm. is I picture there's a very specific spot in my hallway. And I picture myself laying there on the floor in the fetal position because that is all that I have. When people are like, lift your eyes to Jesus, I'm like, I can't. I don't have the strength. What does that even mean? Okay, great, fantastic. That did me no good. And I don't mean to be snarky, but like a lot of those Christian-isms mm -hmm were not helpful and actually very hurtful. Mm. And so I would picture myself laying on the floor as this like fetal position, very accurate. I can't lift my eyes to you. I can't do anything. I'm going to just sit here and cry because that is all that I can do. Mm -hmm. And it was weird because I feel it's like the fibers of God thing, but I feel this like glowing orb of Jesus, which sounds super weird and hokey, but it's the only way I can like describe it with words. It's like this orb of Jesus that surrounds me. Like it's like an ooze that like moves towards me and then just <laughs> over my body, okay. which is like weird and bizarre and awkward, but I don't know how else to say it. So there it is. Mm -hmm. And I'm sure it's glittery and bright also because it's better, but it is that glowing orb of Jesusness that gives me enough peace to be able to turn off the light switch and go get in bed. And so it's been this super interesting progression mm -hmm. where I have, I am not, well, I'm trying. The spiritual disciplines are hard, like praying, journaling, reading the Bible. Like these are all different things. And I am trying really hard to get back into them, but they're hard mm -hmm. to go into these verses that I've grown up with. They feel cliche and, and empty. You're like, oh, and here's the pastor. I'm going to take it this way or this way or this way. Here are the options available to you. Um, and that's been hard for me. Mm -hmm. But the way that I feel God move in me, I cannot describe. The deepening of my faith, uh, I, I don't even have words to say how remarkable this feeling is. My faith with God is stronger than it has ever been. Mm. And it's interesting because through this journey and this deepening of my faith, I've come to this sort of like realization that I know there's something bigger going on. In fact, three, so most of my dreams about Josh are dreadful. He's bleeding, he's broken, mm. somebody's dying, we're yeah. getting eaten by wolves, I don't know, there's all these really weird random dreams. And in the two years since he's died, I, I've only had like one and a half good dreams about him. Um, and the dream that I had one really good dream about him, and it was three weeks after he died on my birthday, and it was a real dream in a place where we were actually, like, like it was the home that we met in at Cal Poly mm. on Kentucky Street, in case you're curious. Oh, yeah. And um, he was sitting at the table that we used to eat cereal at together. And he was wearing a shirt that I could have, like, pulled out of the closet. And um, I said to him in that dream, Josh, what happened the night that you died? And he told me what I think happened. But we have 
conflicting stories from the police, the medical examiner, and myself. So who knows what actually happened? Mm. And I asked him, Josh, did it hurt? And he said, no, Jenny, it didn't hurt. I said, Josh, I miss you so much. And he said, Jenny, if you could see what I see right now, it's amazing. Mm. And you know how in dreams you know things? And like, I don't know what I believe about dreams, but like, you know, in dreams you know things. He wasn't saying like, heaven's amazing. He was saying like, this journey, this story that has an end that I don't know, but that he and Jesus can see, Mm. like this story is amazing. Mm. And for some reason, this was an acceptable option in light of eternity, in light of something bigger. And I've had this like settling in my mind of this idea that, okay, God, whatever is going on up there, it must be so big and the stakes must be so high that this was an okay option Mm -hmm. to you, that you would take the love of my life, Mm -hmm. a man who loved you, and you would take him from me because there's something huge that I don't understand. And I'm okay with that. Not that it's about me being okay, but that is some of the peace that I have found. That there is something beautiful and vast that my mind can't comprehend. And I don't know what it is, but Josh does. Mm -hmm. And he says it's amazing. Mm -hmm. And so I will hold on to that belt loop because I know that there's going to be something amazing. And that my story, I may not see it in this life. That's fine. But my story is going to be part of that amazing, beautiful tapestry that God is creating. Mm. And so that is the hope that I have. Mm -hmm. That is how I get out of bed every morning, is knowing that there is something bigger and far more beautiful that I get to be a part of. Mm. And whether I believe in dreams or not, I don't know. But Josh saying to me, Jenny, it's amazing. Okay, Mm -hmm. I'm in. I'm all in. And Lord, you just... Let's go. Mm-hmm. I'm not ready. I'm not excited. I don't want this. I don't want to do it alone. Yeah. I don't know how to parent alone. It's really hard. Oh, it's hard sure. together. Mm-hmm. It's also it's hard, hard alone. Mm-hmm. Yeah. But I'm in. And you tell me what you need me to do. Mm. And I'm going to be here. And also, I might get mad. Sorry. Yeah. But there it is. Mm-hmm. And wow. that's kind of what my day-to-day life is, that constant conversation mm-hmm. of like, I don't like this, but I'm here. I'm here for it. And I, I am committed to you, Lord, and to what Josh and I believe. And that's good enough. That's mm-hmm. enough for today. Wow. Yeah. There it is. Whew. It's a lot. <laughs> Thank you. Of course. Um, and so I'm sure that it, obviously this was probably not easy to talk about at first. And so yeah. at what point did you tell your life group? At what point did you share with, you know, the staff there at yeah. San Jose? Yeah. And what has that journey been like? Have you've, you've mentioned that they've been your backbone. Yeah. And so tell yeah. me a little bit more about that. So Menlo has become our home away from home. Mm. So it was weird because of the pandemic. So during the pandemic, we had a lot of transition. Mm. So... Mm-hmm. The wonderful and amazing Josh Robertson, uh, we adore him, but we didn't really know him. Right. It was three months, I think, until the shutdown happened. So he was hired, and then three months later, you know, he was um, in shutdown. Mm-hmm. So Josh, my Josh, didn't really know our campus pastor. Mm-hmm. And um, t- 
Tatiana was our worship leader. And so I called, so I called our life group first. I remember I called Jen, Jen Perry. And I don't remember what I said. And I feel horrible now because I didn't, I didn't make space for anyone else's emotions. I just, I had logistics that I had to do and I had to tell people. And so I called Jen and I just said, Jen, Josh died. I need you to tell everyone at church. Mm. And that was all I said. And she said, what? And I'm like, I'm sorry, I have to go. But Josh died. And I feel horrible now that I should have been like, hey, checking in. Like, no, hope you're I sitting. Mean, do you have a second? Oh, so sorry to bother you. I mean, you got to do what you got to do in the moment. Yeah. So she called everyone at church. And I don't remember how it happened, but the flood in the best way positive was so real. The, the text messages, the cards, the flowers, the meals. My gosh, I don't think I cooked for like three months straight. It was remarkable. Um, I remember that people from my life group came over and helped me get the blood out of the bottom of the pool. Mm. Like, you know your people when that's what they're doing, mm. you know? And that's mm. kind of not a fun journey to be sitting there like, and yes, you can pay people to do that. But I was like, this is dumb. I'm not going to pay people to do this. I can do it, which maybe in retrospect. Okay. But one of my favorite moments is my life group people, uh, Jen and Jim came over right away. And Jim was like, where's his phone, Jenny? I was like, I have no idea. I don't know where anything is. But I know that if he was working, it would be on this one particular post because that's what he always did, of course. Sure enough, it was there. And I was like, I wonder what he was listening to. And it turned out he was listening to a sermon by Adam Hendricks. And it was one of the sung through sermons, you know, where it's like a quick minute of like, you yeah. know, sermon and then like worship and then sermon and then worship. I remember that one. It mm -hmm. was like something about joy or seeking joy or something like that. And Tatiana was leading worship. Mm -hmm. And that's what he was listening to when he died. And I was like, I love the idea that that was what was in his head mm -hmm. when he left this world. Mm -hmm. And that I always believe that it's Tatiana's voice. We loved Tatiana. So much. We mm -hmm. still love Tatiana so much. Mm -hmm. um, but what an incredible blessing that our worship leader was probably the last thing that he heard. Wow. That's an amazing thing to me. Mm -hmm. Anyway, so um, my people just surrounded me. And, and uh, like <laughs> they know that I'm a raging introvert. So they would do silly things like, hey, Jenny, there's 70 people at your house. You want to walk me to my car? Wink, wink, nudge, nudge. Oh, yes, I do. Thank you very much. Mm -hmm. You know, little things where I knew that they knew me. Mm -hmm. They knew I love to run. And like, that's how I do my life as I run every day. They bought me a treadmill because I can't go on outside runs. Now I have three small children and yeah. I'm on my own. Mm -hmm. So they bought me a treadmill so that I could run in my garage. I mean, it was the, it was the, the, the holding of my broken soul. And also the like practical fixes, mm -hmm. the like, oh, Jenny, you need food. Here you go. Mm -hmm. We're buying you food. You don't have to ask and we're not going to sign up. We're just bringing bags from Costco to your house. Or like, Jenny, you have Josh's service today and you have 70 million family members in town. We're going to cook your meal for you. One of our life group members, um, Jesse and Chris Colburn, they're like, we'll, we'll cook that meal for you. And they cooked for my multitudes of people wow. just because they could. You know, and, and it's just amazing how my life group has just surrounded me um, in and through all of that. And then the word spread to the church 
And like I said, the flood was amazing. And one of my favorite people in the world, Ruby, and her sister Rosemary, they brought us dinner, I remember. And I swear, I think Ruby thought she was feeding the multitude. <laughs> it was this huge meal. And it was such a blessing. And it was clearly made for me and my children. Mm. It was like a very children-aware meal. And I was like, oh, yes, yeah. Ruby. Anyway, that was a really, really, I mean, it was just those sorts of things. It meant so much that people knew me. Mm-hmm. And Tatiana came over and her first thing that she said to me after we talked for a bit was, how can I help you? And I said, okay, there's only, only you can do this for me. I don't want to stop playing cello. Can you help me find childcare for Sunday mornings during sound check? Because I have a special needs kid. Right. I can't just have anybody. Yeah. She's like, yep, I absolutely can. And every time I played, and still to this day, Tatiana is no longer here. Uh, apparently, it was like a line item on the like monthly leadership meetings. Like Jenny Gerlock care for her children. Like, I don't even know what it was, but like she assured me when she when she left that like it was a, a an agenda item to make sure oh. that I was cared for. And to this day, I regularly get check ins from our leadership of like, how can we help you? Is this too much? What do you need? You're playing on Sunday. We have somebody to watch your kids. It's amazing how they have just surrounded me in love and support and prayer and also in the like super daily practical things of like I need someone to watch my children and it can't just be anybody. Right. Right. And um, I am I'm I'm so grateful. Mm-hmm. And as a result, my kids are so known and so loved one of my favorite moments was, I don't even know, when Saratoga first opened the new campus, yeah. my special needs kiddo, Asher, he loves dump trucks and they have a sandbox at Saratoga. Oh, yeah. So he filled the dump truck with sand and we had to go get my cello out of like the main sanctuary area. Mm-hmm. And he's like, I'm coming with you, mom. And I'm like, <laughs> so he's like wheeling this dump truck and there's like a bunch of leadership people like Sam and Scott Palmbush and maybe Cheryl was there. I can't remember, but there's a bunch of like the leadership of the church right there in the front of the sanctuary. And he drives right into the middle of the circle with a filthy dump truck full of sand. And he looks up and everyone's like, hey, Asher. And I'm like, oh my gosh, all of these people know my kid. Yeah. They're like, hey, here's your dump truck. How's it going? It's good. And then he like came and got my cello. And then on the way out, he did the same thing. And they all stopped whatever they were talking about when my child so rudely just like plowed right into their circle <laughs> with his nasty old dump truck full of sand. <laughs> and they're like, Ash, good to see you, buddy. How's yeah. it going? And I just know that we are so loved and so known. And all of us are. But especially when you have a kid that is um, not a typically developing child it can be really hard. Mm -hmm. But to have people that know me and know them Mm -hmm. for who they are, my gosh, I I wish everyone could have that. I wish that everyone could feel the power of that kind of community where we can just be known for who we are and in all of our nastiness. Like, it's gross. But I'm not going to go to church and be like, Jesus is the best and I'm doing great all the time because I'm not. And I don't have to do that. Mm -hmm. And even more practically, uh, my leadership have been so authentic and open and transparent. There was a worship song for a long time that I just could not sing. It was the Graves into Garden song. I was not ready to be like, you turn mourning to dancing. Well, maybe. (laughs) I'm not there yet. That song was really hard for me. And our leadership made a choice to say, we're not going to sing that for a while. Mm. And what an incredible blessing that people saw me and Mm -hmm. changed their trajectory 
to meet my needs that aren't even like that's not a huge need but the sensitivity to that was incredible the authenticity of that was real and the transparency of that was very earth shattering to me and I'm so grateful for my leadership in that my people leading me Mm -hmm. in that not my leadership I didn't lead but they are sensitive to me as leaders of my church people who are pastoring me and that's pretty amazing that is amazing yeah. <laughs> Jenny, thank you. Of course. Um, what else? What else would you want people to, to know or be encouraged by? I mean, this whole story is, I, I am running it through. If this happened to me, what would I do? And I do not know if I would respond <laughs> remotely in the way that you have. Oh, well, we'll but you seem so, like, positive yeah. and yeah. joyful. Mm. And I'm sure it took a while to get there, but how, how did that happen? Mm. Remember how I said my whole life has built to this moment? Yeah. I am a person that is filled with joy. I get excited about the dumbest things ever. Yeah. Uh, one of the first runs outside that I went on after Josh died, there were all these birds like clustered in a tree. And I was like, that is so strange. That's so cool. Why are those birds up there? <laughs> that is so bizarre. Anyway, but like my mind is drawn to those weird things. Mm-hmm. There was this snail every morning of the pandemic that was like on this wall. I don't know if it was the same snail, but I'm sure that it was because, gosh, it makes a better story. Yeah, for sure. I was like, I used to call it my happy migratory snail. And every day I'm like, oh, good morning, happy migratory snail. Like I'm totally that person. Mm-hmm. And so, again, it's my... My love for the Lord's creation, it brings me, it sounds a little hokey saying it like that, but like all these little things Mm. in God's creation, they bring me so much joy. Mm. So even in all of this, it hurts. It's horrible. Don't ever let anyone say like, the Lord is carrying you through. Okay, maybe, and that could be real. I'll say that in 20 years. Right now, it sucks. Mm -hmm. It's horrible. But it's those little things that I see, and I don't say that people are like, oh, those are the blessings of the Lord. I'm like, um... Mm. Yeah, those are hard words for me. A blessing would be for my husband to be right here, and he's not. Mm -hmm. But what I say is, those are reminders. I'm still here. I'm still here. Mm -hmm. You see your little happy happy migratory snail? I'm still here. Mm -hmm. You see those birds that you think are awkward? I'm still here. I'm still here. Mm -hmm. That's the message that I would love people to hear. Don't push your grief or your hurt aside because it's what you feel like you need to do as somebody who loves Jesus. No, mm-hmm. my gosh, we don't need people saying that they are blessed and so grateful. And if you are, great. If that's real and authentic, awesome. I'm so glad. If you're not there, don't say that. Mm-hmm. Sit in your grief. Share your grief. Mm-hmm. I tell my high school students and my children, this is not the journey that I wanted. And you all are on journeys that you don't want to be on. Some of you out in the world have had journeys that you shouldn't have to bear. Mm -hmm. If we're going to be on a path that is horrible, let's just not be alone. Mm -hmm. If you're not into Jesus yet, fine. Let's go together and let's go find Jesus in our terrible journey. You don't have to even like him, but let's go see what he's doing. If you do love Jesus, let's go together and let's figure it out. Let's don't be alone on your horrible path. Mm -hmm. And if you're a person who wants to support people on those horrible paths, Just be with them, walk with them, sit with them, let them talk. Mm -hmm. It's just so powerful to have a community 
even a, just a couple people to just sit with you in the hurt. And if you are in a place that you feel like the Lord is covering you with peace, fantastic. Tell everyone about that. If you're not, don't put that front on. It's okay to not be okay. I know that's like such a cliche phrase. Sorry, it just came out. But it's okay to sit in that grief. And it's okay to tell your church people, this is not cool. And I don't agree with that worship song. And actually that sermon rubbed me the wrong way. Great, let's talk about it. Mm -hmm. Why? Mm -hmm. Help us learn, help us understand. Mm -hmm. My other message would be get involved in a community. Mm -hmm. Find your people. You know, if they're awkward scientists, come on over. My name's Jenny. <laughs> Hi, I'm an awkward scientist. Would love to have you part of my team. You like butterflies too? Great, come on over. <laughs> I would love that. Find your people. Yeah. Find your people that you can connect with. Yeah. And for me, the way that I found those people is by serving. These are people that do stuff with me. I'm a raging introvert. Give me a task. I don't actually want to talk to people. I want to like, oh, lovely talking with you. Great to see you. I'm going to go get the donuts now. Thanks. I love having a task because I don't like to talk to people. It's hard for me sometimes. Mm -hmm. So having a job and a role, it saves me. Mm -hmm. Also, if you're like, I don't fit in, then serve because it's a great opportunity for you to feel like you're part of something more. So when you first sent the email, like, here are the questions we're going to ask before we talked. Mm -hmm. One of the things you said was, you know, why do you serve at Menlo? And I was like, gosh, Dad, why do I serve at Menlo? Well, A, I think it's super fun, A. Mm -hmm. B, now this is my community, so I get to be with my friends. I mean, ask poor Rhea. She's like, Jenny, you're the <laughs> greeter. And I'm like, I'm talking, I'm coming, I'm talking. I'll be there in a second. Jenny, go get the napkin. Sorry, sorry. <laughs> you know, but I love that. Yeah. But also, I serve because I feel like it's where I fit in. A big part of my journey is there are not a ton of people that are on my path. You know, I was a 36-year-old woman with a special need child and a widow and two other children that I have to try and teach to be functional without a dad. Mm -hmm. That's a hard thing to do, mm -hmm. who also are watching their brother deteriorate. Mm. So not only have they had huge losses, but now they're watching their brother deteriorate. And I have to parent all of that? How do I do that? But when you have this community that you're a part of, like, look at my shirt. Mm -hmm. I'm part of the host team. <laughs> no, no, I totally fit in. Even mm -hmm. if you feel like you don't, it gives you a place to be. Yeah. So when you first asked me, why do you serve? Like, well, obviously, so I feel like I fit in because otherwise I don't feel like I do. Wow. And then I thought about that. I was like, actually, that's partially true. It mm -hmm. gives me a spot to be where I feel like I'm part of something. Mm -hmm. So I'm not just sitting there alone by myself. And if I don't want to talk to anybody, that's fine. I'll just go do a task. Oh, time for me to go get the napkins. Have a glorious Sunday. We'll see you later. Mm -hmm. <laughs> and I love that. Mm. So my message to people would be be authentic when you come to church. If you can, you don't have to share your whole story. But don't put on the front of like everything's fine when it's not. Yeah. Find your people to mm -hmm. sit with you. You don't need people telling you what's best because that's not always helpful. Unless you want that. That's a blessing. Fine. Good. But if you're not in that place... Just have someone to sit with you because if you're on a dark path, you shouldn't be alone. It sucks. I would also like to say if you are that person that's on a dark path and you feel alone, come talk to me. Mm -hmm. I'm not going to fix anything, but I'll mm -hmm. sit with you because mm -hmm. it sucks to be alone. Mm -hmm. It's already a hard journey. Yeah. Build into your community mm -hmm. and try, if you can, hold on to that belt loop. Mm -hmm. And if you can't, God can take it. Pound his fit chest yell your words, say what you need to say. Because mm -hmm. if our God is that big, then he can handle that. And if he can't handle that, then he's not who he says he is. Mm. And I'm not interested. Yeah. That would be what I would say. That was a lot of words to say. That but was. there are the words that I would say. <laughs>
Jenny, thank you so much. This has been just so impactful and it's a blessing that we've got to hear this story. And so I'm mm -hmm. just, I'm encouraged by our conversation. I'm saddened, but I'm also hopeful as yeah. well. Good. And so thank you so much. Thank you for having me. Thank you for giving me an opportunity to share. Mm -hmm. Thanks for walking through life with me. You're welcome. <laughs>